In the U.S. alone, more than 1.7 million people are diagnosed with cancer each year. Millions more are impacted as they watch someone close battle this disease. Shaking Cancer is an effort to tell the stories that counter the effects of this relentless and unforgiving disease. This is the Shaking Cancer Podcast. Cal, number one, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me as part of the podcast. Fantastic. Appreciate the invitation. Looking forward to our conversation. So uh, let me ask the upfront question. How did cancer enter your life? And what has come of that? And then we'll get into some more detail. Okay, sounds great. Cancer entered my life quite unexpectedly. No warning signs, just showed up. Uh, <laughs> When it showed up, it showed up somewhat mysteriously, quite frankly. Uh, so uh, let me just give you the very short version and then we can dive into the details. So I woke up one morning in the middle of December of 2014. It was Saturday, I think December 13th, 12th, something like that. And normally I spring out of bed at about six o'clock, 6.30 on weekends. And I got up that Saturday morning. And uh, although I felt great when I went to bed, I got up that next morning and I was inexplicably exhausted mm. after like seven or eight hours of sleep. And uh, that was unusual. And I realized that uh, maybe I needed more rest. So I just stayed in bed a little while longer. And I tried to get up again later. And I, I couldn't walk eight steps to get to my bathroom and I knew that there was something was wrong and so I laid down again and it, it took 30 days 29 days to be exact including uh two full weeks in the hospital for me to be diagnosed with a disease it took seven doctors over the course of four weeks to make that determination in the first seven days I lost 21 pounds. So that's how cancer entered my life. Uh, I got sick in the middle of December, 2014. I got diagnosed close to the middle of January of 2015. And I uh, happy to give you many more details about that experience. Yeah. So even in that short little bit, I have so many questions <laughs> and we had talked, you know, previously before we actually talked today. So, you know, had, had listened and, and looked through um, some of the times where you had told your story. And I guess my, my first question to you as a, to go in chronological order is when you're at that point between that day, when you woke up and you just had those struggles to get out of bed to the time that you wind up in the hospital, it's scary, number one, I would imagine, but there's also a feeling of um, just pure frustration. What is happening to me? I don't understand what is going on inside of my body. Uh, yeah, it was all of those things. Uh, I was uh, 61 at the time. I'm now 67, just had a birthday. And um, I have always been healthy. I was an athlete in school six feet tall, 175 to 180 pounds. I mean, that had been my, uh, you know, my weight for, you know, what, probably 50 years or so since, you know, high school. And uh, I'd always been in great shape. And so uh, having lost 21 pounds in the first seven days, having spent 20 hours in, in bed every single day, uh, for the most part, other than getting up to go to my regular primary care physician over a two-week period, 
and uh, then at the after two weeks, just saying, you know what, I need to be in the hospital. And so I uh, asked my wife to pack a bag, take me to my primary care physician. And I said, you need to call the emergency room and tell the people I'm on my way up there. And he said, you know, Carol, I've been, you know, you've been coming here a couple of weeks. You know, hospitalization is exactly what I was going to recommend. Well, I said, I'm recommending it today. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it, it was... It, so here, so here's the thing. So that Saturday, that weekend, when I knew something was wrong, I stayed in bed that whole weekend. And that Monday morning, I went to the doctor, right? And, uh, you know, they, they did blood work and, and all this other stuff. And I went back home and I was still in bed, you know, for uh, multiple hours a day. And I went back to the doctor later that week and they started giving me outpatient appointments at the hospital to get additional scans and all those other kinds of people trying to figure out. And, you know, I wasn't getting better. So it was like this rotation for the first couple of weeks, go to the doctor, go to the hospital for outpatient testing or something, go back home, get in the bed. And so after two weeks of that and losing more weight, um, that's when I decided I needed to be in hospital. And so what was among the frustrating things was the fact that here I am, I've always been very, very healthy. Now all of a sudden I'm progressively losing weight feeling horrible, don't know what's wrong. And every test that I am taking, the doctors are calling me back saying, everything is in the normal ranges. Everything's in the normal ranges. And, you know, so for my family, my wife and my children, my adult children, and I think we had, uh, my, my wife and I are foster parents, we've had 54 foster children over the last 21 years. And at the time, I think we had two foster children in the household. Uh, and all of my adult children were, you know, looking out on their own, some in-state, some out-of-state, this kind of thing, uh, some local. And so nobody had ever seen me that sick before. And, and so it was really, it was, it was frustrating for me. It was frightening to them. And it was perplexing to the doctors. So that's, that was my 1A question. You've, it, you've taken a dive into my mind. My connection to Cal is from my time in Ithaca, and anyone who's in Ithaca knows Cal. I mean, that's not a that's not to to throw the uh, celebration of Cal out there, and that's not to say you know all the amazing things that you've done because that could fill its own podcast itself. But to not see you up and around for your family, but then the incredible number of people the almost overwhelming number of people that you know in that community who did not see you at your best or didn't see you at all for that period of time. And that starts to weigh on you too, because you are, like you said, you've been active. So when you can't do that, you start to think, wait a minute, this isn't right. And all of a sudden the wheels start moving, right? You start to go down a road I'm imagining where even in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't know what this outcome is going to be. I don't know what is at sort of the end of whatever this road or this path off of the road is. Yeah, all of those things are true. Uh, you know, there's, there's some folks in Ithaca who know me as community cow. So mm -hmm. say I've been very, very active, very involved in the community. I'm the proverbial energizer bunny for the most part. <laughs> And so when I, you know, I was, I was canceling appointments, um, I was working full time at Cornell at the time, I've since retired, but, you know, so I, I was out from work, 
you know, people on campus and my networks there, you know, people were checking in, uh, people in the community checking in, some people were visiting me in my home. And then when I got admitted to the hospital, back, you know, that was obviously pre-pandemic, so I was able to have visitors and stuff. Right. And people were seeing me, to use the words of one of those seven doctors who was trying to figure out what was wrong with me during this period, people could see me literally wasting away. Mm. And and that that the Greg the, the and I used this term earlier the phrase that that came to just I, I just got sick of hearing it was results in normal ranges. I mean, doctors, I, I had more uh, blood draws and tests and scans and X-rays and it, anything you can imagine. I, these people, one of the nurses told me that doctors were literally staying up you know, nights trying to figure out what is wrong with this man. We see this man wasting away and it is medically inexplicable that all these tests ordered by multiple doctors from different specialties are coming back, quote unquote, within the normal ranges. And so it, it, as I said, it was medically inexplicable. And quite frankly, some of the people who were coming to visit me later told me, you know, well after the fact, after I've been diagnosed and started the, the chemo regimens and everything else, is Calvin, we came by to see you. We thought you were going to die. I mean, so it, it, it was a really somber kind of, you know, mood and atmosphere and everything else. And so, uh, you know, when you're going through that and you're getting uh, top medical care and, you know, I have a brother-in-law who's a, a physician that practices in Virginia and, and Maryland. And, um, you know, my wife was consulting, it was my wife's uh, brother and, mm-hmm. and she was consulting with him and, and, you know, it, so uh, we knew the right kind of questions to ask and everything else. And I, I knew these doctors were trying as hard as they could, but I could not understand what the heck was going on and why they couldn't figure this out. Because, you know, and, and, and I, the first, so I, was, I was at 180 pounds and I lost it 21 pounds the first seven days. And by the time I got a diagnosis, I was down to 148. Wow. So, so, so what was the diagnosis? Can you talk to me a little bit about what was found? And then even if you want to tell sort of the story of how you learned about what it was, because I'm imagining with what occurred, you had your own questions and your own research to do because it was not just, I walked in the hospital two hours later, I knew what it was. You probably had tons of questions and did your own research. Right. So, um, it, it, so how did I find, how did the doctors find out what it was? Mm-hmm. All right. So I'd, I'd been in, I'd been sick for at that time over three weeks. It ended up being four weeks before the diagnosis. And one of the doctors, um, uh, ordered, uh, a, ordered two biopsies. And uh, he said, look, you know, all of us, him and, and, and the six other physicians that what are these different tests? And he said, look, we've done everything we can. Uh, and we've all felt his lymph nodes. Everybody said lymph nodes. And this is the other phrase I heard over and over, unremarkable. Lymph nodes, unremarkable. They weren't swollen. You know, it was the middle of the winter and everything else. And sure. this was fine. And so it, it was that lymph node biopsy that revealed a peripheral T-cell lymphoma. Now there are a lot of different kinds of lymphomas. There's you know, B-cells, which are the majority of lymphomas. There are T-cells, about 20%. And, 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 and there are gradations or there's this spectrum. Some are more common, some are more rare. So the T-cells are more rare than B-cells. Uh, and and uh, within the T-cells, there's this spectrum of rare to, to common 
uh, more common. And I was on the rare end of the spectrum. And so the biopsy results came back in and the doctor who ordered it is, he's an infectious disease doctor. And he came in uh, one Thursday evening, very solemn look on his face. Now this is somewhere around day 28, day 29. And he said, Mr. Walker, we, we finally have some definitive test results. And um, what you have is, uh, is a, a lymphoma and it's extremely serious. And the oncologist will either be in tonight or first thing in the morning. And he, and I said, you know, it's great that there's a diagnosis finally. Yeah. And uh, he said, Mr. Walker, do you know what a, a lymphoma is? I said, well, it's some kind of cancer. I don't know anything about it. There's no history of cancer in my family. Uh, but at least there was a diagnosis. He said, well, do you want me to call somebody? Because these, I mean, it was clear that this was very, very, very serious. Mm. I said, no, you don't need to call anybody. I mean, my, my wife, my kids, I'll, I'll, I'll call them and let them know. And, and I can never tell my story without talking about the most significant piece. So huh. yeah, I, I was raised uh, in a, uh, with a, within a strong faith tradition. I've been a, I was a deacon at my church for over 30 years before I transitioned to do jail ministry and some other things. I'm not a pastor or anything else, but you know, my family is a very strong uh, family in our faith. So on day 27, I was lying in a hospital bed. The biopsy had been done uh, and I was waiting on the results. Okay. And I was at Cayuga Medical Center on the fourth floor. And I remember it was about 12, 15, just after midnight. And, and, and the biopsy had been done. And, and I, I just remember saying, God, this is unsustainable. I have been sick for almost a month. I've lost by that point 30 pounds or more. I have told my kids that I'm gonna be okay. And I know that unless there's a miracle, there's just no way for me to survive. I mean, I, that's, that's what I said. I was talking to God like that. Mm. Sixty-some years old, been talking to God for six decades. Yeah, right. And 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 you know, I, you know, wow. I'm telling my story, and so whether this uh, resonates with people or not, you know, it's just up to them. But I can tell you that God spoke to me and said, "This sickness is not unto death." You shall not die, but you shall live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, uh, if anyone is familiar with, with uh, you know, with Christianity and, and uh, you know, you got the New Testament, the Old Testament. And I recognize because of my upbringing and, mm -hmm. and my role as a deacon and a lot of other things, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I knew that those two things were scripture. Uh, one is from the Gospel of John, the other is from the Book of Psalms. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and this, is, this, this is really important because at that moment, I still didn't have a diagnosis, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that a God who I have believed in all of my life had just given me assurance that whatever it is, I'm gonna be okay. And so when that doctor told me that you have a, you have a he didn't tell me the type of lymphoma, he said, uh, well, no, he did. He said peripheral T-cell lymphoma. It didn't, there was no shock value for me. Mm -hmm. I was genuinely happy that there was now finally a diagnosis because although I don't know a lot about medicine, I know that an accurate diagnosis is half the cure. Yeah. So now that there's a diagnosis, y'all can start treating me instead of examining me, which you've been doing for four, four weeks. And so I just want to know, you know, when is treatment going to start? And so I will tell you this, and this is significant. When the nurse who was on duty at the time heard the doctor say peripheral T-cell lymphoma, she gracefully and, and almost inconspicuously 
exited the room. And when she came back, Greg, this is no joke. She had a stack of papers about like that. It was about, I think it was about six or seven sheets of paper. I still have them in my file somewhere. On page one, bold letters at the top. This is a quote. Without immediate treatment, survival for a peripheral T-cell lymphoma is normally a few short weeks. Wow. I was, I was in week four. Wow. Now, I want your listeners to hear that because the oncologist who came in the next day said, Mr. Walker, we need to start work. We, we got a lot of work to do and we need to start like now. Mm-hmm. And so I went through, I can tell you about the treatments a little later, but I went through a whole lot of treatments and stuff. Well, five months of, of the most aggressive chemo that they could give. I wow. had five, I had five uh, different drugs and they were all potent, so much so that the pharmacist at the hospital who mixes these things up told me later, you know, once she came down, she said, I just wanted to meet the person that's tolerating this. Uh, because when the, she got the orders, she said she called down to make sure that this is what they wanted. Because right. people don't normally get this because nobody tolerates it. She said, you would expect, she said, typically a person would be convulsing. Uh, on this kind of, uh, on, on this kind of shit. I didn't have any nausea, any vomiting or any diarrhea or anything. So I was on a really, really potent stuff. Uh, well, and, and all of those years of good health are the reason, the main reason why you were able to tolerate that and were able to, to, to fight because you had a, that base to work off of but there have been so many people who have had that base to work off of, and it they haven't had the same result. You you are are in that way very much a, a rarity for how that happens because that that doesn't just happen to everyone. And, and no matter the factor, or no matter what you believe or no matter if you just think that oh i'm one of the lucky ones or however you approach that that's a rarity and the top line of that stack of papers that you received is a clear example of that it it really is and and i recognize uh that uh that what i went through is is not the normal outcome for a lot of people and uh it's been termed a miracle uh, by some folks in the medical community because you know, I asked my oncologist once I started going through all the treatments and I started improving, I said, you know, this is the statement that was on that, that, those sheets of paper. And I said, is that an exaggeration? He said, absolutely not. He said, most people don't survive this uh, the way you did. And matter of fact, I, I, and I quoted it, I said, without immediate treatment, survival is normally a few short weeks. And I said, and, and I remember him saying, in effect, there wouldn't have been a week five had I not been diagnosed when I was. Mm. And, and the other thing too, and, and, and you said that I had been in good health and, and that contributed. And, and, and this is what my doctor told me. He said, when I came in the room to see you that Friday and I told you what the treatment was, I mean, what treatment plan uh, mm. we would do starting that Monday, when, I, when my wife and I went in on that Monday, he said, what I told you on Friday, we're gonna do something different because over the weekend, I consulted with my colleagues at Roswell Park Cancer Institute in, in Buffalo. We looked at your complete medical history and because you have been in such excellent health, we are going to do something much stronger than what I told you on Friday. 
and, and they decided to do that because they figured that A, your disease is at a stage where we have to do everything, push every limit in order to try to keep you alive. And B, uh, we didn't tell you this on, I didn't tell you this on Friday because what we're gonna do is something most people can't tolerate, but yeah. now we think you can. So you at that point have the resources of your faith, your family, yep. your community. Now you have the medical team that's starting to work for you now that they know what this is. Those are, those are about the only resources you can depend on in that. And I say only that's a, that's a lot that you have going for you. And I'm, it keeps sticking in my mind when you said that when you had that conversation <laughs> with, with God at the, at yeah. the sort of outset or, or yeah. onset of when you were starting to, to go over the, the hill, right? You were fighting your way up the hill and now you're on the other side where you can start to gain some momentum starting to go down the other side of, of that mountain that you're trying to climb. You, at that point, once you start to have all of those things, if you're going to, and I, this isn't my favorite phrase, but if you're going to win that battle, now at least you have, you have something behind you, right? You have some strength. You have something behind you to say, okay, let's, let's take a full run at this, right? Let's take our best effort at this. And I, I'm not going to go down without a fight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But so, so for me, the whole experience was one um, that rather than dreading it or being fearful about any aspect of it, you know, I had a disease that, that I knew nothing about. There's no immediate family member that's, I, that I've ever seen go through any kind of cancer. I knew about treat. Uh, I knew there was something called chemo. I knew there was something called radiation, but I didn't know anybody, you know, intimately that, that had ever experienced that. And so for me, Greg, and I know that this, this, this may sound kind of strange, I looked at all of this in, that was in front of me with a sense of anticipation and excitement. Now, not joy, not glee, not happiness or anything else. But my point is there was no fear because, you know, I, people are talking about, you, let, me, let me tell you this. So my treatments were five consecutive days every three weeks for five months with five chemo drugs that a combination of which other people were not getting. One day, one of those five days, the first time when uh, the nurses were, I was going through this five day regimen, one day they gowned up, they literally looked like little astronauts. They had everything on except a helmet. I'm serious. Gloves, those, those little, those white look like astronauts. Yeah. And so all of my chemo drugs, uh, the liquid ones were, looked like saline, they were clear. But this particular day, it was red and it was a big bag full of it. And I said to the nurse, I said, now, y'all dressed up, look like little astronauts. <laughs> what, why, why? And they looked at each other and then she looked at me, she said, Mr. Walker, if a drop of this gets on us, that's considered a medical emergency. I said, time out. <laughs> if a drop of this gets on you, dressed up like a little astronaut, yeah. It's a medical emergency, but the whole bag is going into my body. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, and then we laughed about it. Yeah. We laughed about it because, again, I went through that five month regimen 
five consecutive days, every three weeks, getting that same medication, no nausea, no vomiting, no diarrhea. So, so part of what, and this is, uh, this is again important, since this is my story, I, I'm just letting people know yeah. what was the, when beneath my wings. <clears throat> that conversation I had that night in the hospital room, to me, it was assurance. Now, I didn't immediately feel like Popeye eating spinach, <laughs> where all of a sudden all your strength comes back. Sure. My physical strength lying in that hospital bed two days before a diagnosis came was still diminished. I was still a shell of myself, 30 something pounds uh, lighter than I've normally been, uh, wasting away, but my spirit was renewed. My inner strength was renewed. All fear was gone, displaced by assurance that I will not die but live. This sickness is not unto death. And so for me, the fight was it, it, I didn't even think of it in terms of a fight because I knew I'd already won. Yeah. That whatever I have to go through, I'm going to be fine. And so I was excited about, okay, you know, I'm going through this chemo and everybody tell me you're going to get tired, you'll be tired and everything. I drove myself to every chemo treatment, came back home, did a reasonable amount of, of physical stuff. It was only two, uh, halfway through, like the two and a half month that I started, I started feeling a little bit of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had to come home and take naps, but you know, I said, okay, now I'm starting to feel a little bit of fatigue. So I guess this is a side effect, but still no nausea, no vomiting, no diarrhea. And so for me, it, it was a sense of I'm progressing through something that is unknown, but I already know what the end is going to be. And so I had the five months of chemo. And also my oncologist told me early on, he said, based on this disease, all this aggressive chemo is simply going to prepare you for the second phase of your treatment. I said, well, what is that? They said, well, you're going to spend about two months up at Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo because you're going to have the bone marrow stem cell transplant. So that was my phase two. And so the last week of June, uh, I went to Roswell in Buffalo and I came back to Ithaca in the middle of August, bone marrow stem cell transplant. Mm. So I knew up front what my multi-month, you know, seven, eight, nine months, whatever, uh, the better part of that year, what my treatments were going to be. But uh, for me, you know, I mean, I've always been interested in med- medicine for the most yeah. part. And to me, it was it was a learning experience. But again, I know that my experience is atypical from that of a lot of people. There are two, two significant things I want to tell you. One, I have a friend, a neighbor, a very close friend of mine, who um, when he told me something months later, after, you know, I'd gotten through most of the treatments, he said, Cal, when, when you got the word that what you were suffering from was a peripheral T-cell lymphoma, he said, he said he called one of his physician friends in Houston, Texas. And he said, now you got to remember, this was early on. This was like the, the day or two uh, around the time that I got the diagnosis. And he said, I never, I, I wouldn't dare have told you or your wife or your family what the physician told me. He said, but you know, you're better now. You've been through all these treatments. He said, I never told you, but now I'm going to tell you now. He said, when he called his doctor friend, his doctor said, his name is Jerry. Uh, he said, Jerry, I wish I had better news, but it will be a miracle if your friend survives. Yeah. Did you ever reach a point where you were trying to 
find that middle ground in that world between this is my life with cancer and this is my life that I want to live and this is what I had expected at this age or this was the expectation of, of what this was and how you found that that balance between the two of those things. Right. So, um, so I had a disease that most people don't survive um, and it wasn't diagnosed early enough. Um, and because it was diagnosed so late, uh, the chances of survival for me uh, at some point seemed really slim. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, uh, you know, everything turned out fine for reasons that we've already talked about, but life changed for me uh, dramatically. So what I recognized is, okay, this happened. Uh, you didn't see it coming. Obviously, I asked the council question, you know, what, what could have caused this? I mean, it just came out of the blue. Uh, you know, there were no warning signs. I was healthy as an ox the day, you know, the night that I went to bed. I got up the next morning. I, it doesn't make sense to me. And so uh, doctors don't know what caused it. <laughs> I don't know what caused it. But I know that I'm fine and I know that I went through something and, and I try to have the attitude that everything happens for a reason. And I can look at myself as, you know, why is it? I, I can tell you this. I never, never, ever, re honestly, I never remember asking the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? Because quite frankly, uh, I am a very blessed person and I know that in my life, I have had a number of near-death experiences and that is not a, that's not an exaggeration. I've been in auto accidents. I've, uh, most, most of the things that, I, that uh, have, could have killed me mm -hmm. involved vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one involved a train, <laughs> you mm. know, literally, literally by inches missing a train because there were no, there were no crossbar oh there, coming down yeah sure there were no flashing lights yeah <laughs> and there was no sound of a train and all of a sudden it's like within a foot yeah you know, oh. I, mean, I could have been dead so anyway oh. so i've had some experiences and uh and i just counted a blessing that uh despite all of those uh potentially fatal uh things um you know that i survived them all and so i looked at this and and so cancer changed my life in some significant ways and I'm not bitter about any of it all. And this may, this may sound strange to some folks, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I, anytime I tell the story, I, I say it. Uh, if, 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 if it were possible for me to go back to the first week of December of 2014 and be shown a preview of coming attractions, you're going to have this disease. It's going to knock the wind out of your sails. It's going to scare the heck out of your family. It's going to scare you. And you're going to, have to go through a lot of treatments. Believe it or not, I wouldn't change a thing because I feel like this has been um, something that has, there are things that I've, I've gone through, reflections, just uh, uh, different perspectives about, you know, I've always had an attitude of gratitude, mm -hmm. but that has grown exponentially now. I just see the world differently. I see life. My life is moving along at a, it's not a frenetic pace like it has been, mm -hmm. right? I have slowed down, sure. right? Yep. Over a lot of years, juggling a lot of different things. And it all came to an immediate halt. I mean, immediate halt, right? And so for a year of treatments, it was like, I'm at a point now where 
I can choose. Number one, I know that I'm going to win this mm-hmm. battle. I know that everything is going to be fine. I've got that assurance. I don't know what the future holds, but I know it's all going to be fine. It's going to be what I make it. I have a, a second chance. Well, a second chance, third chance, fifth chance, 10th chance. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But my point is, I now have the ability to pause, reset if I need to, decide what do I want. So people talk about a full plate. I had a platter. <laughs> and it, it, everything was emptied off. Yeah. And so now it was like, okay, reassess, or at least think about reassess, recalibrate what's important. You're now in your mid-60s. What, what, what do you want to put back on the plate? Mm-hmm. To become a platter again, you just want to keep it a manageable plate. Okay, I want to keep it a manageable plate. Okay, so what's your decision making criteria for how you are going to invest your time? What are going to be your priorities? Are they going to be the same ones? Are you going to put some of the things back on the plate? Uh, are you going to put none of the things back on the plate? And so I've decided these things I'm not going to put back on. I'm going to put parts of these things on, but I'm always going to leave space for new things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as new uh, priorities uh, develop. And so my life, uh, I am much more, I'm much more focused, I'm much more present, I'm much more in the moment. I don't, my body is not in one place and my mind is somewhere else. I've looked back at some of my old calendars and journals and stuff like, oh my God, you were doing all this stuff at the same time. Like, but it was fun. I was enjoying it. I was feeling like I was making value-added contributions. And, and, And I said, you know, you can still do that without overloading yourself. And, and so now I tend to focus more on depth of involvement mm-hmm. rather than breadth of involvement, right? And so it, it was, it was a, I feel like, and, and again, I'm gonna go back to my faith here. I feel like God hit the pause button for me because frankly, I didn't have sense enough to hit it for myself. I really do. I mean, I had always known that, man, you know, you got a lot going on and, but I never had burnout. I, I never felt tired. Or I never felt like I'm doing something that I really don't want to be doing. But I knew that, 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 that there wasn't the kind of balance because uh, I was, it was a lot of stress because it's had so much stuff going on. And, uh, and I don't feel that way now. And once again, <laughs> no one seeks out cancer or wants it or wishes for it, but it winds up being in so many ways, this, life-changing experience. And even if you don't have the same outcome that you had, even if it does take the life of a loved one or take your, your own life in the end, it does so much in so many ways that just that's what fascinates me. And that's what makes me want to have these conversations. And I think about that and I hear that. And it's so inspirational for me to hear that because I I think of those moments in my own life where I've talked to people and and I've heard what they've said. And the one theme always seems to be, yeah, but it did this for me, or it opened this door, or it made me see this with a little more clarity. And that may be so incredibly minor. It may be just the, the switch of the way that they've taken care of one part of their health, or it might be a job, or they may have just moved and gone and done something different, whatever it may be, it's opened that door. And I think that'll be my, my final question to you is, do you see the importance of telling your story? When you tell your story, do you see the impact of that? And then do you 
feel the impact when you hear other people's stories and, and the impact that it can have on you. You've helped so many people in your life and you've supported so many people in your life. And then in all of that, hearing the stories supports you because now it impacted you right at home. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I appreciate your your your, your posing this final question. Uh, I, I absolutely see the importance of sharing my story. I, I am sharing. I get calls regularly uh, from people. Some I know really well. Some I, I don't know as well. Some who know me a lot more than I don't know them, just from some of my community involvements, asking if I would be willing to talk with someone, one of their loved ones, perhaps, uh, or somebody you know that they know that's going through cancer and they know my story. You know, my story has been written about, it's been talked about. I've, I've been, I've had the opportunity to just speak in, in a lot of public forums uh, where people have wanted to hear some things about my story. And so uh, I enjoy sharing it because I, I like, as people are going through it, it, it's always helpful to talk. Many people find it very helpful to talk to somebody who's been there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I always, when I tell my story, I, I let folks know that as I was going through those multiple chemo sessions, I got to know people over time, some of whom didn't have the kind of outcome that I did. I, I've been to some of the funerals of some of those folks. I have a first cousin, or had a first cousin. Janice and I you know, grew up together in Tuskegee, Alabama. Our mothers were sisters. And Janice was going through cancer uh, for the third time, the same time I was going through cancer. And we would be on the phone and we'd talk about our milestones and the most recent, you know, doctor visit and the prognosis and, and all these other things. And so chemo, while it, it, it was, it didn't affect me in any of the ways that it typically affects others, affected my cousin and it was horrible. It just beat her up horribly. We're about, we're about 10 months apart in age. And she, one of my conversations with Greg, she said, Cal, I can't do this anymore. I've told my family I want to stop chemo. Now she knew that, that she was going to die. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't want the quality of life that she was experiencing. She lived in Columbus, Ohio. And over a course of, I think about eight weeks, I made three trips to Columbus. I was there when she died. Uh, I was at her funeral, all the whole thing. So. I know that cancer, and she and I were like this. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we started together 60 some years ago in Tuskegee. Yeah. So, and so I, I let, I, and I always want people to know that because while I talk about my story, I let people know that I know that this is not the norm for everybody. Uh, and so even right now, you know, just this past week, I've had several interactions with a particular person that I've never met. And she, and so telling my story is an encouragement to her. There have been people who, you know, uh, they have a loved one who's going to have to have a bone marrow stem cell transplant. People know that I've been through that. People want to, I have people call me, people I've never met, right? And so tell those stories. And I enjoy hearing other people's stories as well, because there are often a lot of commonalities um, you know, through those experiences. And so it, it does something for me to tell my story because I, I, I've always wanted to help others in any way that I can. The world is better off that your uh, outcome was one that was rare because you have um, such an amazing heart and because you give so much to the people who are around you and to your community. Um, I know there are hundreds, thousands who would echo uh, that sentiment. I will say that it, it's incredible to talk in this forum 
any time that Cal and I have ever talked, it has been about um, very much in the sort of the the very sort of formal ways that you would do an interview with, um, you know, my life in radio and whatever uh, the the conversation was with whatever um, Cal and I were talking about. I'm so incredibly um, happy that you took some time to to talk with me. I'm so incredibly happy that now you are continuing to be strong. It's it's an incredible story. Um, we'll hopefully have a chance to talk a little bit more down the road as well. But I really thank you. And, you know, I, I, it's silly to say, but congratulations that this was the outcome um, because it's it's incredible to have you be able to still put a smile on your face after everything you've gone through and say, yes, this was something that had this impact on my life, but I took something from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Greg, thanks for reaching out to me and telling me about uh, what you're doing. And I'm honored to have had the opportunity to chat with you. And I hope that uh, my uh, story, my sharing encourages somebody in some way. This has been the Shaking Cancer Podcast. Follow us at Shaking Cancer on Facebook and Twitter. And we are Shaking Cancer at Instagram. Reach out to us to share your stories at shakingcancer at gmail.com. By sharing our stories, we are Shaking Cancer. Shaking Cancer.